0: we are sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at
1: this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here.
0: They're not using just weights and majors.
1: He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked
0: as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back.
1: I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show. My name is Caleb Egg. With me, as always, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Hoff? How's it going, oh, brother? Sh-
0: Shalom. Nice to see you.
1: Hey, thanks, man. It's nice to be seen. Yeah. Uh, for those who might not know, I have spent the last 12 days in Manila, Metro Manila, the Philippines. Uh, and I don't know why. I should say this. For some reason, we're getting this loud hum. I don't know if people can hear that or not. Anyway. Um, that's, the,
0: that's, you know how... Yeshua says even the stones would cry out. I think your, <laughs> I think your uh, laptop's crying
1: out. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, that just means i got to turn up my sound every time I want to use my soundboard. Oh, well. Uh, let me get back here. Anyway, so uh, I've been in uh, Metro Manila at the APMF 2016 uh, Regional Conference in Metro Manila.
0: What's APMF?
1: The Asian Pacific Messianic Fellowship. Cool. Yeah. Uh, founded, I believe, by Roger Walkowitz. Roger and Naomi Walk- Walk- Walkowitz. Uh, great people. And it was good to see them again there. Uh, they live in Florida, but they fly out to – they're in the Philippines a lot. They have their own apartment there. Really, really nice people. Um, yeah, so – How was the food? Yeah, okay, you know, I don't want to down anything especially uh seeing as though I really, you know, I promoted the show a lot to the people in the Philippines. Um it's not that it's not that uh, the food was necessarily bad. It's that uh I'm not a huge fan of of F- Filipino cuisine in general. See,
0: I I'm, I'm totally ignorant as to to
1: Well, they do eat a lot of fish and as a pescatarian that's really great for me. However, the kind of fish they eat is is uh I I think the fish kept upsetting my stomach, so I've had a, a sour stomach for you know. It's just now on its way out, um, but you know, for the most part, the it was it was it was great. Uh, and a couple of times they took us out to uh, to some buffets, and the, and I gotta say the sushi. Yeah, I'm a I'm a ahi tuna kind of a guy, and uh, there was plenty of that. So in that respect, I cannot I can't complain at all. It was very good. Uh, yeah. So today, uh, it might be a shorter show. I don't know. Uh, we haven't really re- uh, prepared for this at all. We thought that we would talk a little bit, uh, no, there which is-, is not a surprise. I know, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should, it would be easier just to tell them when we have prepared. I
1: know, right? So exactly. just assume
0: assume that we have
1: not prepared. Well, I was gonna I did pull one article, so I I was looking around the internet, and actually there is a ton to talk about today. Because while I was gone in Metro Manila, by the way, Metro Manila is uh is is dominated, heavily dominated by the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. And so uh we were there obviously over Passion Week, and uh it was it was an interesting uh you know. It was interesting all around.
0: uh. I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes.
1: So basically what happened was, this is weird how this worked too. They shut everything down. They shut the malls down. Now, keep in mind, there's 13 million people in Metro Manila alone. And uh, it's, it's a lot of people packed into... A very small, I mean, it's a huge place that Metro Manila actually has four cities in it, but still, when you're talking about 13 million people, there's people everywhere, everywhere, and there's a lot of you know, there's not only is there a lot of money in Metro Manila, which there is, uh, but there's also a lot of poverty as well, um, you know, and so you have these uh, extreme cases of poverty within uh, Metro Manila. And because of that, just like any overpopulated city and i 'm not trying to down on Metro Manila, you know some of the other parts of the Philippines is absolutely gorgeous and just wonderful. but uh, Metro Manila is overpopulated overpopulation obviously brings uh, you know sanitary issues and uh, you know not enough bathrooms and all sorts of issues like that so there 's a lot of interesting smells there 's a horrible amount of uh, of pollution. Uh, so there's smog everywhere, and uh, since it's you know like not, it was like 95 degrees and, and humid, it feels like all of that, the pollution, the smell, everything is kind of sticking to you. That's you know because you're sweating constantly. Um, but the place that the conference was at was actually really very nice, and and uh, and the people. It, it, it's a little uncomfortable to be honest with you because all the people in in. Uh, Metro Manila. I don't know if it's because I'm white, you know, and uh, (laughs) obviously stand out in a crowd there or what, but everyone is just super nice. Everyone calls you, sir. Doors are held for you. Uh, Elevator buttons are pushed for you. Uh, People go above and beyond, which sounds really nice. And, like, it's nice to be waited on a little bit, but when it's constant and every, like, all the time, like, you walk down the street and all you hear is, hello, sir, hello, sir, hello, sir, hello, you know, like, it's, from people you don't even know. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it gets a little uncomfortable for me.
0: You should have had Robin Caleb show cards. Hey, here, here every go. time yeah. someone asks you, every, every <laughs> time someone says hello, sir, take one of these.
1: <laughs> Next time, man. Next time. So, okay, let's talk a little bit. Now, one more cultural issue in the Philippines. Because Metro Manila has 13 million people, the driving in the Philippines is a sight to behold. And I'm not joking. I don't know if people have seen. Okay, so first of all, it's gridlock pretty much wherever you go. And when it's not gridlock, there's really no rules on the road. Now, I say that, I ask somebody, what are, like, what are the rules here? What are the What are the driving rules? Are you ready for what he told me? There's one rule. Don't hit anyone. (laughs) That's literally what the guy told me. Now, granted, there are more rules than that, I'm sure. But let me give you a for instance, okay? I'll give you two examples of this. We come to a stop sign. There's three lanes of traffic going each way. So six lanes of traffic in total. We're trying to get across the highway. Everybody's going probably about 30 miles an hour, okay? And it is jam-packed. There's no space anywhere. How in the world are we going to get across six lanes of traffic, right? So what does our driver do? He comes to a rolling stop. He, like, doesn't stop all the way and just keeps rolling into the intersection. I'm not joking. It was like your life is flashing before your eyes. Here's another example. We're driving. There's two buses. Now, I don't know if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. When he's driving in the speedboat in between the two, you know, and the two boats are being pushed together. And he's just about, you know, he almost doesn't make it out. This is exactly what's happening. Both of these buses somehow, there's no, nobody stays in a lane. So both these buses are coming together. And our cab driver is like trying to get through. (laughs) (laughs) It was the most ridiculous thing, right? Okay, now, why do I tell everyone this? Because as I fear from – first of all, I have to say that I think that actually the driving in the, in the Philippines, although looking incredibly scary and ridiculous, they have some of the best drivers in the world. It's like Indy 500 race car driving all the time. Everyone is trained to be an Indy 500 race car driver, right? And so I get back to the States. I've gone completely unscathed in the Philippines. Not back 24 hours. I get in a car accident. I'm not joking. Some guy darts out in front of me and I hit him. You broke the rule. <laughs> I didn't. break the, the one rule. Don't <laughs> hit anybody. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Oh, okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the issues. And this is where I'm sure uh, you will get very animated. I want to talk about some of the issues that we faced in, uh, in the Philippines. Now, keep in mind, people came from Indonesia. Uh, there was a guy who actually – came from uh came from New York, Joe. So this guy, he says to me the very first day, he says, I saw one of your uh one of your videos on YouTube. And I was like, oh great, which one did you see? And he was like, You were talking about Monty Judah. And I was like, oh yeah, Monty Judah. You know? And he was like, Man, you really kinda you really kinda you know like made me depressed about it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, yeah, I know that he rejects Hebrew, the book of Hebrews. But, you know, he's a good teacher. And this was kind of like the, you know, the tone. And I, So actually I responded and I said, well, anytime a teacher tells you that you should get rid of a part of the Bible out of your, out of your you know, a, a book out of the Bible, throw it out, you need to basically run the other way. For instance, Michael Rood, uh, he teaches that John 6-4 should be taken out of your Bible. And he said, man, Michael Rood and, and uh, Monty Judah, you're really hitting a nerve here. So that, I mean, right there, it kind of sets the tone for the way that the conference was. A lot of these people have really great hearts. They really, you know, they, uh, they love the Lord. They're trying to follow the Torah, these kind of things. But they, they're basically being spoon-fed from these teachers who are full of nonsense which is very sad. Yeah.
0: Boy. I, you know, what do you, what do you say? You know, we're, you know, you can go to torresource.com and you see what our message is. You know, I mean, we're, we have a message, and that's what we're teaching. And sometimes it will come sharply against what someone else out there that has their message and they're, that they're selling, books that they're selling, conferences they're teaching at you know it's unavoidable uh, that we're gonna we're gonna bump into that kind of uh situation
1: so the last the last uh apmf conference was actually in indonesia and uh who was the keynote speaker it was Itzhak shapira And I'm sure everyone who's listened to this show before knows my stance on, on, our stance on Itzhak Shapira and, uh, the book Return of the Kosher Pig. By the way, uh, Rob, you're writing a review on that book, right? Oh, (laughs) how's Uh, it coming along?
0: (laughs) I've written a couple already and none of them are, I'm like, I, oh, I don't even know what to say. There's not even words.
1: I told well maybe I should leave that for later. Yeah, the, there was a guy who came back down from Indonesia. First of all, did you know that Tovia Singer lives over in the Asia Pacific area? What's he doing over there? I don't know. I don't know, but that, but he's he's got a big voice there now. And so first of okay, so let me say set, set the stage a little bit. Cuz he's going to
0: go anywhere where where the gospel is making inroads into Jewish communities.
1: Yeah, he's fighting hard.
0: He's going to go there.
1: He's fighting hard. The anti-missionaries are huge over in Indonesia and and in in the Philippines. And uh, so you have these messianics who are not only trying to fight against Roman Catholicism and Islam, which is making huge inroads into the Philippines. But now you have these messianics who are attempting to combat the anti-missionaries as well. And so what do they do to to, to the the people first of all I should say that at the APMF last year there was a large group of people I didn't realize this but you know the APMF is not unbelievers those who are at the APMF are believers and not only are they believers but most of them are leaders in communities it's not like you have a bunch of you know non-believers or whatever coming to the APMF to, to try to learn about the gospel. What you have is you have leaders and communities coming to try to be able to learn something then take it back to their individual communities. That's what's going on. So last year, Itzhak Shapira spoke. There was a huge number of people in the APMF who had a huge problem with what he was saying, first and foremost. But second of all, then he did an altar call at the APMF. And a bunch of people stood up and walked out because basically this is not the place to do an you know why would you do this I think also when he when he talks about oh how many souls have you saved that was one of the questions that he gave to me which my answer is none I have saved no one God is, might use me as a tool every once in a while to bring people to himself but God does the saving, and, and, and honestly, one of the things that I realize is that the Arminian versus Calvin perspective is a huge point here, and this is really where the lines, the lines diverge, and I'll tell you about that in a few seconds, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, when he talks about saving souls, he's talking about these altar calls that he's doing. He's doing right. these altar calls. Um. So there was one, you know. So these these uh, these believers who are trying to now combat the uh, the anti missionaries. How are they trying to do it? They're using return of the kosher pig.
0: <laughs> How's that working for them? <laughs>
1: so i I got in a quite a you now I was trying not to get heated, but you know i anyone who knows me and anyone who listens to this show when i when i 'm talking about something i 'm very passionate about it, I get excited about stuff, and a lot of times that translates as anger or whatever it's not it's you know it's passion maybe um, so I was talking to this guy, and it was a very lively conversation I said, look man he's you know i 'm showing him places in return of the kosher pig." Uh, where Shapiro specifically says that Metatron and Yeshua are one and the same. And I said, you know, th- when, you g- when you give this to a, to, a, uh, to a Jewish person, are you telling them that Metatron is Yeshua? And he says, well, yeah, but, you know, if we didn't tell them that, they might not believe. Ugh. So basically right there what they're saying is you have to change the gospel. And this is where a Calvin versus Arminian perspective comes in. But second of all, then he says, he says, I, I said, Well what's okay, then what needs to change? Let's say for a few seconds that you're right, that this is correct. So I tell an Orthodox Jewish person, um, you know, you believe in Metatron, you already believe. They say, Okay, great. Now what so what? Now what needs to change? I already believe. Right? So Th- we're good. We're good. Yeah, exa- exa- exactly exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, See you good. Later. And and he said he he didn't really know what to say. He said, "Well, yeah, you know, I guess you know, I guess so." And I and I said to him, "So then, really, we don't need to be evangelizing the Jews. There's no reason to evangelize the Jews. They already believe in Metatron. Metatron is Yeshua. So
0: right, all the all the medieval like Dematria and yeah, it's already uh, they already believe they already believe mysticism. Yeah, that's all. Yeah."
1: you know and so there's this, there is this disconnect there between you know and this is this is exactly what happens when you tr- change the true gospel it was really really sad you know and so we tried to we tried to you know set some some people straight on that i spoke the first three lectures that i gave was basically on that was basically on uh you know a history of of rabbinic literature, and uh, then basically, should we share the gospel through the rabbinic literature? Should we use the gospels instead? And obviously, I think everyone would assume that my conclusion was that we should be using the gospels, not the rabbinic literature, to try to bring the Jewish people to the Messiah. So then, another question that was given to me, This, I mean, it was like they were hitting all of our old shows. I, I just kept saying, you should be listening to the Rob and Caleb show. We've already talked about this. One lady came up to me and she said, okay, you said that there was only one way to... Please expand on the statement, Caleb. What statement? Uh, you should qualify that statement. How does presenting a false gospel play into Armenianism? Okay, uh, let me. Okay, let me let me clarify that statement for everyone. The reason that it plays in is because they basically what he's saying is, if you don't change the gospel to say that Metatron is Yeshua, we might not. Say, you might fail in, in converting a person to Christ. It, the Orthodox Jews they might not believe. He might not believe if you don't say it right. If, if you don't, don't, if you don't if, use the right. If you don't part. sugarcoat the gospel. If you don't make it palatable to the Jewish people, then they won't believe. That's an Arminian view, and, and that's
0: and like you said about the altar calls and the the question of how many of you saved. You know, it's it's really coming from a position of someone who thinks obviously with their book that I he even says it. in the book he says. Unless these, unless we can present Yeshua, this is my paraphrase, but this is what he's saying. Unless we can present Yeshua as a Hasid, as as like um, who uh, you know, and using all these things like Metatron and Gematria and the Zohar and all these things. If we can't do that, they're not going to recognize who Yeshua is. Yeah, they're exactly. Gonna, they're not going to recognize the Messiah unless we can teach him in their mythic system.
1: This is good. Let's keep going on this. Look, the problem with this is that what this does is it puts it into, I'm the one doing the saving, and it it takes out the Holy Spirit. The working of the Holy Spirit is what brings people to Christ, not me. And not only that, but if I don't do it, if I say something wrong and the person doesn't accept Christ, guess what? If they're truly saved according to a Calvinistic perspective, it doesn't matter. God will use means to bring them to himself no matter what. I might be that means or somebody else will be that means, but that person will not be lost. However, according to the Armenian perspective, if I don't sugarcoat the gospel the right way, if I, don't, if I don't make it palatable to people, then they could be lost. And that's my fault. In other words, it's, it's my work that might bring a person to or push them away from Someone the gospel. Someone else's
0: salvation absolutely depends, depends upon on whether you do it
1: right or not. Exactly. And that's the problem. Whereas a Calvinistic perspective would say, no, not at all. It doesn't matter what I say or do. If someone is saved from the foundations of the world, God is calling them, and through some means, they will come to the, to the true belief and true faith in God. That's what I mean by that. Right. And, and, so, and
0: d- just so everybody knows, that does, not, that does not exempt disciples of Yeshua from the command to make disciples?
1: No, of course not. Not right. only that, okay. but but it, but we have to remember that we might be that the means that God wants to use to bring people. And what is that place? We we went through Purim while I was gone. What was that place in in Esther where he said where it says something like, uh, if you don't if you don't if you stay silent, then I'll then I'll make my I'm paraphrasing obviously I'll make I'll make this work through other means. But your house will be you know your house will be shamed or whatever. You know what like, I'm talking right, about,
0: right? Esther says, "If even if I, if, right, God's going to deliver His people."
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and what does Paul say about changing the gospel? If anyone comes preaching a, a different gospel from the one we've preached, he is accursed. So, in other words, this whole this whole idea that we need to and this is where the uh, the postmodern Christianity comes in. Basically, what they're saying is, is, look, we'll put on the rock concert. We'll bring the people in. So don't worry about what you're telling them to get them in that door. That doesn't matter. We'll kind of, we'll tell them that they're good. We'll tell them just to come and show up. And then through hearing, through hearing what we, you know, uh, the different things inside the church, then they'll come. But we have to make it look really attractive for them to come in in the first place. That's not, that's not how it works. The truth of the matter is, is that we give the gospel unashamedly, the true gospel as it is, and the Holy Spirit's the one that does the work. I have nothing to do with a person's salvation. The Holy Spirit's the one that changes it. That's what I mean by all of this. Uh, And so I hope that clarifies my statement a little bit, that this is a a, a mixture of Arminianism versus Calvinism. Uh, So then the other thing that was shocking and... I'm going to bring this up. So this was was also very shocking to me. A lady came up to me and she said, okay, you said that there's only one way of salvation. That's through Yeshua. I said, that's right. She said, okay, but what about the the righteous Jews who keep Torah? And I sat with that lady and had about a 15-minute conversation. She, I mean, she kept going back to, yeah, but the Jewish people are chosen. Yeah, but the Jewish, you know, but the Jewish people are God's people. This is, a, you know, to me, this is the very basic fundamentals of salvation. It's a, it's a, people are missing. The Could,
0: did, how would she ask if you say, well, in Yeshua's day, why did John the Baptist, uh, you know, if, if they were all saved, why did John the Baptist preach repentance?
1: Okay, so you, you want to hear what I said? Yeah. So I sat down, because of that, hang on, let me move this. I sat down because of that, and I wrote an ending to my fourth presentation. <laughs> and here's how it went. Uh, the Messianics here face many of these uh, of the same issues we face in the U.S. Uh, blah blah. Ye- yesterday, a woman. Okay. <clears throat> yesterday, a woman uh, walked up and asked me, "You said that the only way." A person can be saved is through Yeshua, but I already knew what she was going to say. Okay, so, I, so I've already basically gone over this. Let's talk about the last st- statement for just a few seconds. First, if we're going to talk about observant Jews, let's take, the model, uh, let's take the model observant Jew. Paul tells us that, and then I quote Philippians 3, 4 through 6. If anyone else <clears throat> has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I for- far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the Torah, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the ecclesia, as to the, as to the righteousness, which is in the Torah found blameless. Right? So Paul is the Jew among Jews. He's found blameless. And so I say that Paul proclaims himself the model Jew, all this kind of thing. He's even more of the model Jew than like Tovia Singer. He, and he, he persecutes the Jews more than Tovia Singer, right? Then he says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, 1 Timothy 1.13. I go on to then quote Isaiah 64.6, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And Isaiah 1, 13 through 14, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense, incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity. And the solemn assembly, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden for me. I am weary of bearing them. So how can, Yeshua, or how can God call the Sabbath, you know, that he hates it? It's a command of Torah. And the point is, is that without, without Yeshua, you can't keep you know and we've talked about this on the show before but the point is without yeshua you cannot keep torah it's impossible you're a blasphemer without yeshua all of the all of the righteous deeds you know are are worthless but it just shows i mean it shows that people are are facing the same issues
0: Oh, absolutely! Well put. Yeah, it's the same. It's not different. It's not that different, you know. There's no temple, but there might as well well be in terms of the temple of Orthodox Judaism. You know, the Talmud and you know the Mishnah and the Talmud and the, all the the texts that become the kind of the site of their worship, informing you know what what is righteousness, who's in, who's out. What is sacred space? You know, defining yeah. who, who the non-Jew is and the limits that the non-Jew has in terms of commandments. You know, all this stuff. It's like a map of. There's a whole uh, architecture to to the rabbinic map of the world that puts the rabbis as the priests. Really, I mean, they mediate uh, what they call the words of the living God, which is their halacha, right?
1: That's exactly right. Okay. But,
0: but yeah, and from the outside, we go, wow, man, look at that, that guy. Man, he must really love God, you know, because he's like, outwardly, he looks like he's the perfect religious guy, maybe not as good as the Catholics who have the best clothes and the the most
1: <laughs> We should we should have Gary on sometime. He posts like full Bible passages <laughs> in the chat room. <laughs> when we get when we get on a topic that Gary likes? whew, watch yourself. Okay. You know, there
0: was a, one of the verses real quick was the one about Paul says that he was a blasphemer. Correct. Yeah, First Timothy, per, First Timothy, and he did it in, in unbelief. Yeah, and, but he was shown mercy. So and that ties us back to Romans eleven. That our job is not to be condemning of. Those who are uh, you know pious Jews who don't know the gospel mm-hmm. who, why, you know we're, we're to be merciful, um, but when we get to people who are preaching a message that they're out, out there teaching, they, be, they put themselves in the wolf category uh, you know they're trying to actually distort and s- steal away sheep that's our job is to defend Yeshua's flock, and he equips us to do that and that's where it can get, you know, in worldly terms, it can get, look kind of ugly. But we, that's where the, the, there's a battle there. But that doesn't mean we cease having mercy. It's just like Paul was shown mercy that we too have to remember that and that we, we are attached, all of us. Everybody who's part of Yeshua is attached through faith, right? And it's nothing that we've done. There's no, it's not like I did something and God said, oh, man. Rob's awesome. Look at what Rob did, man. I think I want him as part of my. No, no, that's totally backwards. It's it, there's nothing in me that that is desirable, other than God just chose to love. Right. That's that's it, and it's that simple. And uh, we have to remember that that's our anchor. That's who we are in Messiah. Is we are we are grafted in by faith. And if we uh, you know, if you start thinking boastfully, that's what that warning is. It says, look, you don't, you have nothing to boast against somebody else. You know, it's by faith that you're uh, part of God's kingdom, not by any, any fancy moves that you've made.
1: So, uh, what was I going to say? One last thing. I was going to say one last thing before we moved on. Um, Basically, I should say that you know one of the what I taught on in the in the main conference there was actually two conferences, but the main conference, what I spoke on was uh, the formation of the Bible. I wanted people to have a, a understanding of how we ha how we came to sixty six books in our Bible and to know that this was the inspiration of God. Um, so I went through the formation of the Tanakh and the canonization of the Tanakh, then uh, the Apocrypha, why we don 't keep the Apocrypha in the Bible. And uh, then I went into the apostolic scriptures, mo- mo- more specifically the synoptic gospels. Then into Paul and the apostolic scriptures as a whole, and just into the formation of the canon of the apostolic scriptures, into the uh, the uh, councils in the uh, third and fourth centuries, and then uh, I went into the formation of the English Bible, the Reformation. And uh, Tyndale, Tyndale's translation, Tyndale Bible into the uh, into the King James Version Bible. and then Eastern to Western texts, the different codices, including uh, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Uh, so that was basically the main conference. I took four.
0: That sounds like fire hose.
1: It was. And I took I took uh, four lectures. So I, uh, I took two lectures. Uh, I took one lecture that was an hour and a half, and I took three lectures that were an hour apiece, so I spoke three and a half hours on that. And at the end, I basically had to scrap one of my slides, and I was rushing because I, I put this last – I put about, uh, you know, eight slides in at the end to answer the question. I, you know, basically I went from, from, okay, now you know that this is the uh, – now you know that this is why I believe in the 66 books. Now let's take an issue like, can you be saved outside of Yeshua? So that lady's question, I integrated into the end of the, you know, and I wrote that right there on on the spot, basically before before my lecture uh, to to try to combat that. So that's what I did. Anyway, so uh, being out of the out of the 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 chair here for uh, several weeks has has lost my I've lost my edge. I don't know what in the world I'm doing. Uh, you got your gamache ready here. You've uh, got
0: edge. Oh yeah, I was I was starting to feel neglected.
1: Well, like uh, unloved, don't feel neglected. Let's uh, let's just do it.
0: I and I have to rem- I have to be reminded, Caleb. I think this is show one eighteen. That is correct. Okay, cool. Show right.
1: one eighteen. Here we go.
0: It's Rubsymatria.
1: There it is. What do you got for me? Yeah.
0: <laughs> show one eighteen. I've got I, I've got a few good ones here. One is. <laughs> Kisei hakavod, Kisei, like throne hakavod, so like the throne, the throne of glory. Oh yeah, throne of glory adds up to one eighteen. Another one, yod hey vav hey Elohim. If oh. you put the vav in Elohim, if you spell Elohim, uh, aleph lamid vav hey. Where,
1: where do you get this stuff? Do you have like a, a gematria generator?
0: Heck yeah. <laughs> Here's another one. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Meyuchadim. Meyuchadim. Special ones. We're special. Meyuchadim. But the last one I I really like here is uh, lo le'achol, not to eat. Not to eat. So you can figure that out on your own, you know, the spiritual significance of these. Uh, But uh, that's, that's our gematria words for show 118.
1: Show 118. Alright, we good? That's, That's it. That's it. You're a legend in your own mind. You don't need no education. Your mom goes to college. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. Alright. Well, so uh yeah, the Philippines is good. You know, I I hope that, you know, there are some really great, great believers over there. There is, Uh, you know, and, and uh, their worship, man, I'll tell you what, if I think, I don't know, their, their music was so loud, (laughs) they would play this music and it was, it just blared, it was so loud, it was unbelievable, and that, you know, you got people from all over, it was just, it was just a good time, it was a good time all around, and I I would say there's probably a good 150 people at the big conference. Wow, that's great. Yeah, so it was fun, it was, it was good. And uh, we we had a good time. You know, I, I know my dad is, is uh, he gets very tired and leery of, my dad taught a lot. And he taught a lot of stuff that uh, he's taught before. I think everything that he taught, he's taught before. But we got some things videotaped, uh, you know, like he did the I Will Build My Ecclesia. He did parts of that again. Oh, good. I think he did four sessions on that. So he did Interpreting the Bible. I think he did three or four sessions on that. So these are all things that obviously we'll try to try to get out for the for the people um so basically uh yeah i thought it was good uh big shout out to everybody who is at the uh APMF 2016 uh i hope that we uh i hope that we you know uh presented well <laughs> and i hope that uh i hope that i see everybody again soon i am not sure but i think that they're uh, they're going to have it in metro manila next year what are you laughing at <laughs>
0: Gary says, is this your generator? And he he posted a picture from Napoleon Dynamite, the time travel machine. (laughs) And I said, yeah, but you have to have the right crystals. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Remember that? (laughs) He's like, turn it off. Turn it off.
1: (laughs) He's getting electrocuted. (laughs) Oh, wow. Where have we gone? (laughs) Okay, so tell me a little bit about your review. Uh, I want to know about your review of uh, Return of Threshold. I've
0: started a couple different ones with different angles, but
1: what I – why don't you combine them all into one?
0: Yeah, what, what I realize is this is ah, how to, how to, how to put it succinctly. We've we've pretty much already touched on it. One of the things that he wants to do with his book, he says that 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 Jews need to rethink how to present the gospel to Jewish believers. They need to rethink and they need to come with an approach that believe that uh, that Jews will understand by using tr- authentic Jewish hermeneutics, and, and that's basically what it is. So he's using medieval kind of uh, uh, Jewish interpretive schemes like Pardes, right? We've talked about that before, Gematria, and this sort of thing, and then uh, to try to explain who. Yeshua is a lot of uh, equivalency of, of gematria numbers, you know, and things like this. Trying to prove that there is a, a you can have a divine Messiah in in Jewish tradition, and then he'll draws a lot on writings from Chabad teachers um, to try to use uh, Chabad teaching as like, see, there it is possible to have a divine uh, Messiah. In Judaism, you know, he's using these kinds of arguments, and
1: but is there my, anything? Is there anything? Uh, is there anything necessarily wrong with that? I mean, we can we can take the rabbinical literature and say, look, you rabbinical literature does teach a divine Messiah. That's not necessarily my beef. It's when we say that the rabbinic literature is talking about our Messiah.
0: Well, oh, absolutely. Well, and and that's what it is. It's uh, it's saying that that we, can, we need to retell, that Yeshua will be misunderstood if not put in the right terminology. And basically it means the simple story of the gospel can't speak for itself. But it, you, need to, you need to have you, – you can't just read the gospel and believe.
1: But that's what – it's actually – that's his, his testimony, is that he got a, 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 uh, uh, a New Testament in Hebrew and he started reading. He didn't find the, the Messiah through the Zohar. Didn't find it yeah, so I account. don't
0: understand why he's trying to. Why he says that? That's how it, he, the Messiah needs to be taught to Jews. Um, you know, it's I, it's it's crazy.
1: One of the biggest things that surprises me, you know, Michael Brown has endorsed his book, has endorsed Shapiro's book, and one of the things that surprises me so much about that is, I mean. <laughs> Doctor Michael Brown has spoken very strongly against anyone who uh, who tries to say that Allah and Yodhe Vaher are one in the same. And right. one of the one of the things that he uses to show that this can't be true is anyone who denies the Trinity can't believe in the same God as the Bible, as the Apostolic Scriptures. That's one of Doctor Brown's arguments. However, Itzach Shapiro clearly rejects the Trinity. He has a two hour teaching on the on the internet. In video format, on why he doesn't believe in the Trinity. And at the end of that, he tries to smooth it all over with the Christians by saying, But I do believe in the Ain Self, the 10 emanations of the Ain Self, and the top three emanations of the Ain Self would be equivalent to the Trinity. This sounds really good if you're a Christian who doesn't know what the Ain Self is, but this is total heresy. Well, yeah.
0: First of all, first of all, because the Ein Sof is not part of the Trinity. In exactly. Because if if you have a wisdom, right, it's 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 where we get the acronym Chabad, right? Chet the, the Chet is for Chokma, wisdom. Chokma, yep. The Bed is for Bina, which is understanding, and the Da the Dalit is for Daat, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, um, which are taken from the Proverbs as being the, the three emanations uh, of the Ein Sof. None of them are Ein Sof. Ein Sof is beyond those. So what he's saying is that there's, if that's the same as the Trinity, he's saying there's actually like four. There's like the uh, Ein Sof, which means the infinite one or the infinite. And then you have the three emanations like that would be the Trinity. It's, yeah, it's totally convoluted.
1: But the problem right. is is that he rejects the Trinity, and Dr. Brown basically re- says that the way that we know that they don 't believe in the same God as us is that they reject the Trinity. Now, maybe Dr. Brown is trying to say that that uh, that that uh, Shapira believes in the Trinity he just names it something different. but Dr. Brown should know better than that right. Dr. Brown is a <clears throat> you know he 's done work in. He at least knows how he should be studying and researching. Any research into the Ain self will tell you that it's not the Trinity, first of all, and second of all that it can't be the Trinity, and third of all, that it's heresy. So I don't understand. And what is Dr. I mean, what is Dr. Brown's sponsors of his radio show, who are all Christian sponsors? What do they think about the idea that Metatron and Yeshua are one and the same, or that we should be changing the gospel to bring in the Jewish people or that we should be uh, not believing we should be teaching that the Trinity is a Christian doctrine and that we should believe in the ain self which Itzhak Shapira says i mean how, how does how do his Christian sponsors uh agree with that
0: yeah that, that i don't know i don't know so but back to the the review there's there's uh a handful of anachronisms that he's he has in his book that, um, if he were to have to confront, that would really challenge uh, a lot of what it, the picture he's trying to paint. He is uh, he teaches bilateral ecclesiology, so he he teaches that there's one set of uh, rules for Jews and another set of rule for Gentile believers, um, which is. Wrong. Very problematic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the idea of of uh, the, you know the sparks, the Netzotzot, uh, netzotzo, the the redeeming, you know, gathering of the sparks. He tries to use that Kabbalist idea to understand Yeshua's uh, teaching about you know when he says that, that like a hen would wanted to gather the chicks, sort of thing. And that's again he draws on Lurianic Kabbalah. Um, to to try to understand who Yeshua is, um, but really he ends up he ends up you. It's, he's not just using Judaism largely; he's highly dependent on Hasidism as it emerged in Chabad specifically, Chabad Hasidism, and and he's basically saying unless we can teach Yeshua as being as fitting into the worldview of the Chabad. Uh, early Chabad teachers, then then it we you know, we're not gonna get any traction among uh among Jewish believers. Or uh am uh, sorry. We're not gonna get any traction among Jewish believers in Chabad, not believers in Yeshua. Yeah of course. Um yeah, it's it's crazy.
1: Okay, so let's shift gears. I got one more thing here. Um so I thought that this was connected to someone in the MJAA. It's not actually. This from Charisma News. Now, I should say that uh that Michael Brown has written for Charisma News, I believe. I also know that uh what's his name? Uh Ron Cantor of the MJAA has written for Charisma News. You know, and which is not surprising. All these guys are big into the charismatic movement and uh and really, let's be honest, messianic Judaism uh or messianic faith whatever you want to say in the 70s really boiled out of the charismatic movement so uh, the messianic faith does owe something to the the charismatic movement to for the steam that it you know was given um but uh the n- name of this is it's not just Times Square actually let's see here that's not the one I want um hang on let me pull up a different one I think it's this one Okay, yeah, so uh, this is not from Charisma News. Now, Charisma News picked this article up. They have a link to it. Uh, They're both by the same author, though, Michael Schneider, I believe is his name. Let me make sure on that. And it is by, yeah, Michael Schneider is the guy who wrote both of these, okay? The first one is on his blog. I didn't make show notes today, sorry, um, but, yeah, I just didn't. Um, So the first one, uh, this is what he says. I realize that the headline of this article, and the headline, by the way, is April 2016, the Temple of Baal will be erected in Times Square in New York City. Uh, He says, I realize that the headline of this article sounds like it must be false, but it is actually completely true. The Temple of Baal... Also known as the Temple of Bel, was a world-famous landmark that was located in Palmyra, Syria. In August 2015, this temple was destroyed by ISIS. All this is true. It was destroyed by ISIS, and most of the world recoiled in terror at the loss of a cultural heritage site. Or I don't know if it was a cultural heritage site that they recoiled at. I think it was the idea that uh, this this was an ar- archaeological find which uh, shed light not only on the uh, Syrian uh, temple worship in that time, but also shed light on biblical uh, aspects of of what's going on in the Bible. Right. So the Bible talks about uh, about these kind of things, and and now we have an archaeological site that proves the Bible to be true. Uh, So I I think that that is more what uh, the world recoiled at rather than a cultural heritage site. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go on. In an attempt to preserve history, quote, unquote, preserve history, two exact replicas of the 50-foot arch, this is important, the 50-foot arch that stood at the entrance to the temple will be erected in April 2016 in Times Square in New York City, and the traffic... Traf- uh, Trafalgar Square in London. Sorry. Needless to say, a lot of people are quite disturbed by this. I Okay. I didn't, I'd never heard anyone be <laughs> disturbed by this. Uh-oh. I lost sound. Hang on.
0: Can people hear? I don't know what people
1: Yeah, people can hear. can hear you. Okay, there oh, we hey, go. I'm back. Hey everybody. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That was my bad. And uh of course my uh my computer wasn't working either. Okay, so here we go. I'm back. Um so I hadn't heard of people having this huge outcry, as this gentleman uh, states, but maybe they did. In ancient times, child sacrifice—okay, uh, yeah—in ancient times, child sacrifice and bisexual orgies were common. Pardon this uh, This is not me. I'm sorry. I, maybe I should have censored this better. Uh, common practices at the altars of Baal, and now uh, we are putting up a monument of worship to this false god in the heart of our most important cities. I have a problem with that statement. We'll get back to it. When I first came across as, th- as
0: if as if Times Square was uh, was all without this.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. Well, for okay. Let, let's state the problems with this article in and of themselves altogether. First of all, uh, the arch that was at the Bell Temple was not an altar.
0: No, an arch can't be an altar.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but it 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 doesn't represent. Uh, child sacrifice or sexual immorality. Uh, what it represents is uh, that ISIS is uh, being jerks and that they're destroying uh, things that uh, shed light on biblical truths. And not only that, but on ancient, uh, ancient religion and culture. Now, granted, should we tear down the high places? Absolutely. And, I, and uh, I'm all for that. I'm not saying that we should be erecting uh, uh, places of worship to bell that's not the point however uh i i have a hard time seeing how this is uh an all so you know i just don't i just don't see the correlation here uh putting up a monument of worship i don't see this as a monument of worship to a false god in the heart of our most important city second of all um look at america for a second i know that all a lot of people are pounding the pulpit on how america is a christian nation Says who? What are you smoking to think that America is a Christian nation? I think we lost that quite a long time ago. Uh, I think that God is probably, uh, maybe we shouldn't take it as lightly as I'm trying, you know, maybe I'm taking it too lightly. But I think that God's first, uh, first offense here is the slaughtering of babies in the abortion acts that have oh gone my. on oh. in, the, in the United States. Or maybe it's the homosexual uh, marriage and uh, just – I mean – and not just even homosexual. Look at the sexual, uh, the, the sexual misconduct of people uh, throughout the, the nation. Uh, people getting uh getting pregnant out of wedlock, constantly living with each other out of wedlock uh just tons of of different sexual uh sins that go on in this nation every single second you're telling me that that putting up an arch in Times Square, a replica of a of a uh archaeological dig is is going to bring the wrath of God. Is this to say that God is more concerned? With the replica of an Arch of Bell uh, being placed in Times Square in London over and against our abortion problem, our our homosexual problem, our, I mean, name it. And I, I took two of the big ones that is on everyone's mind. But, I mean, let's look at the nation as a whole. I'm sorry, but I don't see the majority of the nation. Now I know that the census will tell you that what, like seventy-five, eighty percent of of the nation is Christian. Do Do you really think that we have eighty percent of our nation is Bible believing Christians? No, no, of no. course not. And and not only that, but Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness—all these people are lumped into Christianity uh, within our nation. So, I, I find it very difficult to believe that, uh, that, you know, I would say that there is quite the minority of true Bible believing uh, believers that are actually uh, making up this nation. I don't think that America has been a Christian nation for quite some time. And I think that you really have to be, uh, you really have to have the wool over your eyes to, to think that uh, something like this. I mean, maybe it's the icing on the cake. I personally here's another question. Did these did did this guy, did Michael Schneider have outrage when the uh when the Egyptian uh uh exhibits at the the traveling exhibit of, of, of Tutmost and, and all those guys, Ramses came through? Does he realize that those Egyptians thought that they were God on earth? I mean, if you want to talk about if you want to talk about uh, ancient religious cults that spit in the face of God, isn't Egypt, like, up there on the list? Yeah.
0: yeah I, don't well, I noticed on one of the one of the websites there, the Charisma News, right in the column was, Mystery of the Shemitah, by now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh. it, and so, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, what, are, we could be, it's like people want to; they want to point out something that everybody can rally against, you know, and tear it down, or say this is, uh, and then everybody's always running around like reacting to like mass hysteria or trying to, and then that that becomes interpreted as the movement of God in the world. And I think you know what I think. One this thing means. after another, boom, boom, boom. You know, it's just one thing after another.
1: Look, there's no doubt that God controls it all. In my mind, once again, as a As a Calvinist, I believe that God's in control and has seen all, you know, he's, he lives outside of time, you know, you know, but uh, I mean, for me, what this is, is an, uh, once again, is an attempt to put more clout onto America and, you know, Europe, more weight onto as some kind of a chosen people. And this goes back once again to my talk about the idea that the Jews can be saved outside of Yeshua. We as believers in Yeshua are Israel. You know, we have attached ourselves to Israel. So we have grafted ourselves into the branch. And not everyone whose father is Abraham is, you know, is Israel. Not everyone's father who's Israel is Israel. So the point is, is that is that, uh, you know, just because you have a bloodline or heritage doesn't do anything for you.
0: Like John the Baptist, Yohanan Beel, what do he say? He says, don't say we have Abraham as our father. Because God can raise up sons from these stones. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it's God who changes the heart. He changes the the stony heart to, he gives us life.
1: That's a good bad band name for you. Stony Heart. Stony Heart. <laughs> all right. I'm done. That's all I got. Anything else, Rob? Uh,
0: well, I wanted to hear a little bit about, did you talk about Jewish mysticism at all?
1: Yeah. So basically what I did was I talked about, so I gave an overview of, of. Um, well, I got to think of exactly what did I did.
0: I mean, did you pull on some of what you... Presented last year at at a conference? Yeah.
1: So basically what I did, yes, I did. So what I did was I gave an overview of the formation of the Mishnah and what the Mishnah was, then a formation of the Talmud, what the Talmud was. Formation of the Zohar, what the Zohar was, into the you know uh, the Zavi, uh, and into uh, the Baal Shems, and then obviously the Baal Shem Tov, into Hasidic Judaism, and that was just a, a an overview. So I had a, a lecture, I think, for an hour, maybe it was an hour and a half on that, and then I went back. So my my next two lectures, I went back. I looked at the Mishnah the Talmud, and the Zohar a little bit more closely and some of the things that are taught within those books. To basically ask the question, should we be uh, giving the gospel through these books? My answer was: there's nothing wrong with sitting down and, and studying different works like this. There's nothing wrong with uh, right,
0: absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah, right. yeah,
1: of course. There's nothing wrong with with looking at these books for for historical value, and there's nothing wrong with uh, taking these books and showing an orthodox Jew. Okay, well, it says this here and it says this here, so we know that Judaism. You know, Judaism. I'm putting quote marks around that for those who can't see me. Judaism. Or judaism's except this as doctrine is that right so you know pointing out different maybe uh, contradictions or uh, things within rabbinic literature these things are all fine to do and I brought up the idea the the example of me pardon me, me uh, going down to Utah to talk to to Mormons. What did we do? We took out the Book of Mormon. We took out the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants. We could show the Mormons, well, did you know that you actually believe this or that your books teach this? So we're showing, you know, what, what Judaism says. But then you go to the Bible and you say, but this is what's actually true. You don't go to the Zohar and say, and this is what's actually true. Exactly. And that's the difference. Uh that's the difference between what Itzhak Shapira is doing, and I named Itzhak you know I named Itzhak Shapira because I knew that he had been uh with those people uh, you know the previous year, and I knew that some of them had been uh, had been really taken with uh with some of what he was saying so um you know I'm basically that's what I was trying to do was trying to shed light on no don't don't be don't be schnookered into believing that this is how we share the gospel with the Jewish people, share the gospel. Share the the apostolic scriptures. Show show them what what Yeshua said. Show them what Paul said. So that was my first the first three lectures. That was in the smaller uh, that was in the smaller uh, conference. There was maybe thirty five forty people at the smaller conference. I'd say maybe fifty tops. Um, so it was uh, much more intimate and uh, you boy, know. but I could just see people
0: just trying to you know taking notes like crazy and trying to like. That's a lot to digest. I mean, especially you after you've also traced basically the history of the church. You know, it's like you do. I mean, that's a monster uh, presentation there. Well,
1: well, yeah. So, so the history of the church was actually after all that. Um, But, but here's the thing: is that you know, I and I realize this not just about the Philippines, but maybe about uh, you know about our teaching in general. I realize that a lot of what we said probably went over the heads of the people there. Now, granted, there is some language barrier there. Uh, A lot of the people, uh, English is their second language, not their first language. So there's that. But even the people who, you know, obviously spoke perfect English, I think that some of the concepts for some of the people were kind of over, you know, I think that we as Messianics and we as people, maybe teachers who have been in the movement for a long time and taught a lot of this stuff and been immersed in all this stuff, we just, we forget that a lot of people are still on a very basic level. You know, the deity of the Messiah, the, the formation of the Bible, and can we trust our Bibles? These are things that, you know, maybe I take for granted because I've been talking about them for the past five, six, seven years, um, you know. But for a lot of people, it's just this very basic, you know, can we be saved if we don't have Yeshua? To me, that's a very basic thing that everyone should understand. But it's something that needed to be addressed there. And so I think sometimes we we forget how you know that we need to go back to the basics and back to the foundational core beliefs of the faith and that sometimes those things aren't understood by the people we're teaching to. You know, it's not just it's not just a phrase here like halakha like do you understand the word halakha? A lot of people said no. Okay, so I have to, to explain halakha. But when I was explaining halakha, because that was, that was literally on the first day and one of the very first things I asked was, do you understand when I say the word halakha, do you understand what I'm saying? And about half the room said, <laughs> no, we don't understand what you're saying. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, the fourth day that I realized, okay, yeah, they might not have understood what halakha meant and I can understand that. But they don't, you know, all, some of these people, not all, a lot of those people, a lot of the people at the conference were were advanced in their studies. You know, there were some students from Torah Resource Institute and whatnot that were there as well, um, but other people uh, at the conference, some of them didn't know the very basics of the gospel. Can we be saved outside of Yeshua? Can Torah observance save us? You know, these are things that I think. You know, can we eat food that uh, that's halal? I know mean, that's a bigger issue, but uh, you know, I mean, some of these things are just issues that are, you know what I would consider very foundational basic issues. So,
0: Wow, that's really cool.
1: So these videos
0: are going to be, is that on your list for this year now to go through and edit?
1: Yes, and actually we don't have any more conferences until family camp. So um, we can, I can hunker down and try to get some of these teachings uh, actually put out quickly. I hope. <laughs> so, all right, Anything else there, uh, Rob? I just had an
0: idea. Yeah, we could have a uh, have a Torah Resource Conference in Spokane sometime.
1: Yeah, we totally should. <clears throat> you set it up, man.
0: <laughs> have 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 certain students come and give presentations. Also,
1: that'd be great. Like our buddy Andre, come on down. Except
0: he'd go by his rap name, Iconoclast. <laughs>
1: His rap name
0: is with Class Z from the Great North.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I'm turning on the end music because this is going right. to a weird place. Thanks,
0: Caleb. That was good. I was looking forward to just hearing kind of your thoughts and impressions on the, coming home.
1: Yeah. I had a great time. And I hope that everybody else did too. Um, we're back. We're back on the air. So hopefully, next week we'll have even more people. In the chat room, and uh, more people realizing that we are back. Uh, until then, give us an email: c.hagatorresource.com or resource.com. Send us all of your uh, questions and show topics that you want to hear, and we'll try to talk about them next week. Let's talk about the Passover. Was it really a Seder or not? That's flying around these days and hopefully we'll be able to work it out and glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.